Um, Pastor Keith is still on vacation, but will be back this coming week. Uh, there'll be one more guest speaker next week, uh, and then he'll be back with us preaching the following week. And so we've been going through uh, a series the past couple weeks that we've called Jesus Heartbeat. And we've been looking at John chapter 17, which if you have your Bibles with you this morning, that's where you can open up to. We'll be in verses 20 through 26 to finish out this series this morning. I tend to be uh, a very forgetful person. Maybe you're like me. Uh, If you talk to those closest to me, they could probably witness to that fact. I tend to be a very forgetful person, even forgetting things that are really important sometimes. And so I have a habit that if I need to remember something, someone tells me something important, or I have to remember to do something important, I, I take out my phone in that moment, push down the button, and say, set a reminder for 7 a.m. on Monday morning. Take out the trash or or, or whatever else it might be. Set a reminder for 10 a.m. on Tuesday morning. Talk to Andrew McLean about something. Because if I don't, I know I'll end up forgetting something that is probably important for me to remember. One of the amazing things about our God is that he never forgets. He never forgets. He never forgets his people, never forgets his promises, never forgets to be gracious to us. And one of the assurances we have of that is that even right now, Jesus is before the Father, bearing our names and praying for us in this moment. I love the song, Before the Throne of God Above, because I think it gives a good glimpse into what this looks like, or what is happening in heaven, even as we gather together. The song captures it well when it says these words. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. John 17 is giving us a window into what our high priest Jesus is praying even right now for us. And we got a glimpse the first week of him praying for his glory and his father's glory and that we might see and enjoy that. We got a glimpse last week of him praying for our holiness and for us to grow in holiness. And we get a glimpse this week of him praying for our unity as his followers and as his church. And so would you join me in praying? And then we'll look at John chapter 17, 20 to 26. Father, we come before you and worship you because you have saved us. Because you have bought us with a price through your son. And because you've united us to your family through Jesus. God, we want our minds to be changed as we gather on a Sunday morning. We want to think your thoughts. We want our minds to be renewed according to who you are and who Jesus is and what he's done. God, we want our hearts to be changed. We, We want to be moved by your work, by your love, by your affection for us want to feel what you want us to feel. And we want our lives to be changed. 
that as we leave, our lives will be guided by what you want and what you say is right and good and best for us. And God, I know that I can't do any of those things. None of us can. We can't change other people's minds or hearts or lives. That's you that does that. And so I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would speak and work in that way, please. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John 17, starting in verse 20, where Jesus prays this. I do not ask for these only, talking about the 11 or the 12 disciples that were in that room with him that night, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, us, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. There was a a documentary that came out in 2005 that perhaps some of you have seen. It was a documentary called Grizzly Man. And it told the story of Timothy Treadwell. Timothy spent 13 summers of his life uh, living or camping in the Alaskan wilderness, in in an Alaskan national park and preserve. And during that time, what he was primarily trying to do was to grid bridge the gap between humans and bears, primarily grizzly bears. And so as he camped, he would look for grizzly bears. He would even try to approach them, to talk to them, and even at times touch them. I don't know what you think when you hear something like that, but I think that's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. When I see a bear especially if I would see a grizzly bear, which I never have, my first reaction is not, let me see how close I can get to this, but let me see how much distance I can put between me and that. To, to live, to try to live with grizzly bears is crazy. There are so many ways that that could end up going bad. We could possibly say a similar thing about the church. The church is a crazy idea when you actually step back and think about it. Let's take people from all different ages, all different backgrounds, all different interests, all different races, all different political beliefs, all different preferences for all sorts of things, and let's throw them together and see what happens. That sounds like a bad reality TV show in some ways, maybe a good reality TV show. Like there, there are all sorts of things that could serve to divide us 
in the church. And you know just as well as I know that, that that's maybe been more clear than ever in the past year and a half. Uh, Stephen Roberts is an army chaplain who wrote an article in May that he titled The Death of Christian Charity. The Death of Christian Charity. And, and he introduced the article in this way, his words. Given what we're seeing in churches across the country, it seems that many who claim the name of Christ are spoiling for a fight. Are these fights being waged for the truth of the gospel or the authority of scripture or a host of other biblical doctrines that either lie at or near the heart of our faith? No, Christians are sizing each other up on cultural matters such as where you stand on former President Trump, the present racial strife, or whether or not to wear masks. We are drawing so many lines in the sand, the beach looks like a tic-tac-toe board. And if you violate my code of cultural orthodoxy, we must go our separate ways. Jesus knows that as the gospel is proclaimed, the church is going to grow. That's the basis he's praying off in verse 20. He says, the disciples are going to proclaim this word and people are going to believe. And I'm praying for those people, including us this morning. And he knows that as the church grows, the opportunity for division among us will grow as well. And so he ends this prayer just before he gets arrested, just before he gets crucified with a prayer for our unity, his followers' unity. And we find that in the midst of all the things that might threaten to divide us, we are held together by Jesus. The, the big idea that I'm giving for this morning for this passage. We're held together by Jesus. And that as we look at his prayer, we might see the, the gift of unity, the goal for our unity, and some ways that we might grow in unity together. And, and so we could start, first of all, with the gift. That unity is a gift for us to be enjoyed. In, in verses 21 through 23, Jesus connects, especially in verse 21, connects his desire for our unity with the fact that he is united to the Father. This is an incredible thing to see. That it, it tells us that to experience unity with other Christians is actually to get a taste of what life in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is like to experience something of what God himself experience is and what his life is like. And so the first thing that we might see from that, or that might teach us, is that unity is not uniformity. In other words, we shouldn't seek unity by trying to eradicate all of our differences and be exactly like one another. Because we know that the father is different than the son and the Son is different than the Father, and yet they're perfectly united together. Well, one of the dangers, actually, to us being unified is that we take our preferences or our opinions and we elevate them and we say, everyone else has to be just like me in these areas. And that's not what Jesus is praying for, and that's not what unity is, because that actually ends up dividing us even more around areas that really aren't even essential to our faith, maybe. There, there are absolutely things we have to hold in common to be unified as a church. Beliefs about God, uh, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about the authority of Scripture, about our condition and our sinfulness, about salvation, and, and maybe even other ones. But there's also lots of room then for us to disagree 
and to not always see eye to eye in other areas. Uh, One of the things, I think a beautiful aspect about the evangelical free church, which is part, or which is what Keystone is a part of, is they kind of build around this idea or this quote that in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, charity, and in all things, Jesus Christ. And I love that idea. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, charity with one another. And in all things, Jesus Christ. But sometimes don't our lives say something different that we actually end up saying in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, hostility, and in all things, be like me. And that's why Jesus is praying. No, I want them to be like us, Father. Yeah, different, but unified together. And, and we can see in this prayer that our unity to one another is first grounded in our unity to Christ. Because we can go back again to verses 21 through 20, 23 and see these words. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be in us. Or in verse 22 through 23. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me. We are, first of all, united to Jesus. This is, this is a wondrous thing about being a Christian. That if you put your faith in Christ, you become one with him. Or, or the, the language the scripture so often uses is in Christ. In Christ. In him. One with him. United with him. Which means what's his is now ours. His father becomes our father. His home becomes our home. His record of performance becomes our record of performance. His death is our death. His glory becomes our glory. His victory becomes our glory. That what's his is now ours. I shared last week that I got married when I was 23 years old. I was young. I didn't know what I was doing. But I did know one thing. I knew a couple things going into that, hopefully. One, one thing I did know uh, is that my wife, who's 22 years old at the time, younger than me, already owned a house because she went to nursing school. She was a hard worker. She was at LGH. And she was able to buy a house before we even got married at the age of 22. And so I knew, and, and this is not why I married. Don't, don't worry. I should couch that, okay? But, but I knew, I knew that that house, when we got married, then also became mine. And, and so it was now my home to be able to enjoy as well alongside her. What's hers was mine, and what's mine, some school debts, became hers. I got the far better deal there. In the same way, Christ Jesus invites us to enjoy, even expects us to enjoy what is his. And this is why I can say something in this prayer, like, Father, even as you've loved me, you've loved them. That God has the same love for us as Jesus' followers, as he does for his very own son, Jesus, which is crazy. And yet it's only because we're united together with Christ. What's his is now ours, which means his family becomes our family, that we're united together to each other through Jesus. Because we're united together with Christ, we're united together to every other follower of Christ. It's a, it's a package deal. You don't get one without the other. Like, it wouldn't have worked for me to say to my wife before we got married, hey, 
uh, excited, like, I, I want you, I want to be with you. Uh, I want your house, I want to live with you, I'm excited about that. Uh, but your family, I don't want them. That would have been and should have been a deal breaker. Because it was a package deal in some ways. I'm marrying you, okay, I'm also joining into your family. Sadly, sometimes, I think for us as Christians, we say we, we want Christ, but we, we don't really want to have to be connected with other Christians, or at least not too closely. We don't want too much of the church. That it's easy for us to see the former belonging to Jesus as a great gift and to see the latter belonging to the church as almost a burden that we have to bear. But they're both gifts, that belonging to Christ and belonging to his church are both equally gifts we get when we're saved and put our faith in him. And that they're meant to be enjoyed side by side. Why, why, why does this matter for us? Because I would say for us to enjoy Jesus means also to enjoy the church. That those two things actually end up going hand in hand. Think about two things that Jesus prays for in this passage and throughout this whole prayer. Uh, he, he prays that we would know the love the Father has for us. That often shows up in this passage. And he also prays that we would see his glory, Jesus' glory, and enjoy it. Think about how actually being part of the church is the answer in some ways to those prayers. How, how do we experience the tangible love of God in the present? In part, maybe in large part, through other Christians. How do, we feel, how do we experience comfort in suffering? How do we experience provision in difficulty, encouragement in trial, rebuke in the face of danger, rejoicing in some joy that we're experiencing? How do we experience that from God? Through other Christians. Paul, the Apostle Paul got this when he wrote in 2 Corinthians 7, talking about an affliction he was facing and how God comforted him. He said this, for even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us, how? By the coming of Titus. God comforted us through another Christian. That Christians, the church in some ways is God's care package to us in the midst of this life while we're still separated from him physically. And the way that we experience his love is through being united with other believers. And that if we disconnect or separate from other believers, we actually disconnect from an opportunity to experience more of his love. What about the glory of Christ? How do we, how do we see and enjoy how great Jesus is? And what Brandon preached on the first Sunday in the series. How do we see and enjoy more of Jesus? Through other Christians, helping us to see things we've not seen before, helping us to remember things we've forgotten, helping us to rejoice in truths that maybe haven't made it all the way to our heart before. C.S. Lewis had a, a great way of putting this when talking about human friendship or human relationships. He said this, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. If, if we're not large enough to be able to bring forth all that's in another human being, 
then we're definitely not large enough to bring forth or shine a light on all that Jesus is as fully God and fully man. And we need other lights, other Christians who can shine certain things, shine on his facets in a way that we haven't seen. As we worship together, study scripture together, pray together, share stories of his faithfulness together, we see more of how great he is and we need each other to be able to do that. That that as we grow in unity, we grow in opportunities to experience God's love and to see Jesus' greatness. We can go on then in this passage and see the, the goal for our unity in some ways. That unity is the scent that we should give off. That's maybe a weird way to put it, but I think unity is the perfume that the world should smell when they think about or come in contact with the church. Jesus says twice in these verses that we read, he wants his followers to be one. And then he gives a reason why. That or so that the world may believe and know that Jesus was sent by God and that God loved us. We are instinctively able to place something or identify something by the smell of it. We, we do this all the time without even recognizing it, probably. That, that you can place the sweet, smoky smell of someone grilling on charcoal over the summer just by driving by. That, that you can place the uh, smell of fresh cookies coming out of the oven without even knowing that they're there. The, the, the pungent smell of walking into a junior high locker room. The, the powerful smell of bacon being cooked somewhere in the house. Or, or the stench of manure being spread right beside your house. No, no offense to farmers, I know you have to spread manure. Uh, but we can, place, we can place the smell of something, or place the source of something based on what we smell. And it makes us either think, there's a reaction in our mind that either thinks, I want that, or I'm going to hold up my nose and get as far away from that as possible. And if there's something we smell that we don't recognize, we ask, where's that coming from? What is that? Our unity as Christians is meant to be such a smell that first of all, the world looks in and says, I I want that, even though I might not really recognize why that is. I want that. But also might draw them to ask, "What's, what's the source of that? What's the source behind that? Why are these people unified? Which means our unity should cut across normal boundaries. Our unity should, should be more than just normal. It should cut across normal boundaries. It's, it's normal for a, a group of people to be united around interests or common interests or hobbies. It, it's normal for people to be united around the same age or stage of life. It's normal for people of similar personalities to be united. People of similar careers, similar backgrounds, similar classes, similar political beliefs, similar whatever. It's it's normal for people to be united around those things. What's, What's not so normal and what makes people stop and say, okay, what's going on here, is when people are united across some of those normal boundaries. And people might step back and say, wait a second, what's going on here? What is connecting them? What is uniting them? What is the source behind this? And by the way, I think this is what we all long for, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. Like, I don't think anyone says, you know what we, we, we want, what we need more of? 
We need more division. We need more anger. We, we need to be more separate. No one says that or thinks that we want to be united. We want something that can bridge the gap of some of our differences and bring us together as one, even though we may disagree on certain things or even though there may be differences among us. And the gospel, Jesus, has the power to do that, has the power to transcend our differences and unite us together. We, you know this as well as I do. We, we live in a time and place where there's lots of talk about how divisive things are. I'm sure you hear that. I'm sure maybe you even say that. And it might be a really powerful opportunity for the church to say, hey, there's something different here because we're united across some of these differences. That, that for the church, the challenge is, as the world looks in on us, do they see anything different among us or do they see the same division and, and, and even anger sometimes that they might see everywhere else? It's a great opportunity for us, I would say. There, there's an author, and this is a longer quote because he's quoting someone else and then giving his own input, uh, but there's an author who talked about what he, what he thought maybe a difference was between the second century church and maybe some of our churches today. And he quoted uh, the church father Tertullian in this, saying this. Tertullian, in his Apologeticus, observed a pointed contrast between the unity of early Christians and the divisive culture in which they lived. Look, say those who don't believe, how Christians love one another. For those who don't believe hate one another and how the Christians are ready to die for each other, for those who don't believe are readier to cut one another's throats. But we Christians look upon ourselves as one body, informed as it were by one soul, being thus incorporated by love. And then he ends that quote, but continues on with his, his observation. During the COVID-19 pandemic, fractures among churches that proclaim Christ as Lord and hold to the biblical orthodoxy have become increasingly visible. From pulpits to porch patios to social media platforms, instead of visible unity, there is virulent antagonism. Patterns of criticism and judgment as Christians publicly bash each other over race, politics, mass, and more. The enemy of the church is executing his plan with precision. I questioned even including the second part of that quote because I don't know what it does in your heart as you hear that. Like, because I think it, it captures some of what we and, and other churches might face, the, the difficulties we might face at times in being unified together. And the question for us is, are, are we known for our division and, and our public or, or even just private bashing of one another, or are we known for the gospel that unites us together? And, and I, I confess, even as I asked that question, I know for myself and probably for all of us in here, there have been times where I've bashed someone else in the church in the past year, whether out loud or just in my mind. And we've probably all done it. And praise God for his forgiveness and for calling us back to the one thing that unifies us, Jesus Christ. And, and that's what we seek and strive to be about as a church. The, the unity of the church should bear witness to the power of the gospel that the more diverse we are, and yet the more united we are around the gospel, the more God might be praised and the gospel might be seen among us. I mean, imagine, imagine walking into a church where 80-year-olds 
laugh and pray with 18-year-olds. Imagine walking into a church where the person who is always complaining and a little bit too pessimistic about life sings right alongside the person who's a little too happy and a little bit too optimistic about life. Imagine walking into a church where the, the introvert in us made effort to try to reach out and talk to someone new, and the extrovert among us made effort to listen and ask more questions. Imagine walking to a church where, where the vegetarian eats beside the deer hunter, where, where people of all different interests, people of all different secondary beliefs, people of all different ethnicities or races, people who are completely different, gather together and sing and worship God side by side. Walking into a church like that, we would have to ask, what is different here? What's going on here? And by the way, that's what the church is going to look like one day, we know. From Revelation 7, 9 through 10, where John says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's where we're headed. That's the perfect unity that we're going to have one day. And, and part of what we do in the present is that we seek to grow in that unity. And, and I think this prayer gives us some ways that we can grow into unity. Unity is a reality that we grow into. This is why Paul told the Ephesian church, be eager to maintain the bond or the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Be eager to maintain it. Keep it because it's easy to lose it. And it's why Jesus prays in this prayer that his followers may become perfectly one, growing more and more together in unity with one another. Unity is something we're meant to grow into. Uh, over the past week, like some of you probably, I've spent uh, most of my evenings watching the Olympics. Uh, I love the Olympics because I sit down and I watch sports that I would never watch otherwise because there's a gold medal on the line and it's the best of the best. I was actually watching archery yesterday morning. I'm like, I would never watch archery otherwise. One of the sports that I love watching too is synchronized swimming, or not, sorry, not synchronized swimming, synchronized diving. Because I think, who, who came up with this sport? Like, who thought in their mind people jumping off a 30-foot platform, doing four and a half flips, and then entering the water at 35 miles per an hour, that's just not difficult enough. Let's get two of them and make them do it side by side in perfect sync, and then we'll judge them based on all their small flaws. It's just crazy. And I, I wish as I was watching these Olympic divers that I could see a video of when they first met each other and first dove together. Like three years ago, four years ago, whatever it was. Because I'm sure that the difference in those two pictures would, would be massive. Like, I'm sure they, their first dives, they weren't in sync at all. And yet, as they practiced together, spent time together, were with each other, that more and more they became in sync as they dove until their Olympic dive, where, where they're almost perfectly in sync most of the times. As a church, we, we don't reach a place here in this world where we're perfect in unity. But we strive as we gather together as we spend time with each other, as we talk together, learn together, to grow more and more and more into the unity that one day will be a full reality for us. 
And I believe this prayer points out a couple ways that we might grow together in that unity. First of all, that we grow in unity by growing in our knowledge of God's love. Uh, Jesus closes this prayer by saying words that he said earlier. That, Father, I've, I've made your name known to them. I've revealed you, who you are to them, what you're like, and I'm going to continue to do that so that your love may be within them and I may be in them as well. Father, I'm going to keep revealing who you are so that they might grow in the knowledge of your love for them. As we grasp how undeserving we are of God's love and yet how freely he gives it to us, we might become more likely to love other people in the church even when we strongly disagree with them. I don't know about you, but I really want to be a part of a church where we can say on certain things, I completely disagree with you on that and I love you anyway. As we grasp, God knows the absolute worst about us, the version of us that we we don't want anyone else to know, the worst things about us, and yet still treats us as sons and daughters. We might grow in not assuming the worst about other people just because they might hold a different opinion about us, but rather seeking to understand them seeking to ask questions, assuming the best about them, even if we don't understand them. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a church where people don't just assume things about me based on my view of a mask or an election or a racial issue or or vaccination or whatever else it is, but where people might ask and try to understand, why, why, why do you think that? Why do you believe that? And even as I say that, I realize my own tendency to just assume the worst based on certain things. As we grasp that God's love, instead of giving up on us, instead of running from us when he should have, ran towards us in Christ, gave up what was most valuable to himself, his son, to love us. We we might grow in, instead of running from each other when we have disagreements, seeking to build bridges, sometimes even sacrificing certain things to build those bridges. Again, I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but, but I want to be a ch- part of a church that, that prioritizes loving and serving one another, even sacrificing for one another over getting our own way. We definitely have room to grow, and, and where we grow, I definitely have room to grow, and how we grow, I think, especially is through grasping how God has loved us, and as we grasp that, it shapes then how we start to love and treat one another. We also grow in unity by being committed to the church. Jesus ends this prayer by, in some ways, making a vow to his people, to his church. Father, I've revealed your name. I'm going to continue to. I'm not abandoning them. I've shown them that you love them. I'm going to continue to do that. I'm going to continue to be in them. Despite how flawed we are, despite how messed up the church can be at some times, Jesus doesn't give up on us but remains committed to us. And one of the ways that we grow or can grow in unity is by being committed to one another. This is the beauty, I think one of the beauties, of church membership. Because it puts a stake in the ground and it says, I'm committed to growing with you, worshiping with you, learning with you, loving you, serving alongside you, being on the same mission as you. 
and I'm putting a stake in the ground to say that. One, one of the ways to grow in unity might be to join a church, whether that's Keystone or whether that's some other church, and say, I'm here to stay, come what may. I'm going to commit to these people. We, we also grow in unity by worshiping together. In verse 24, Jesus says kind of a uh, shocking thing when we look back at it for a second. He says, Father, I desire that they, us, as his followers, may be with me where I am. We often talk about the fact that as Christians, we should long to be present with Christ right now. But do we realize the flip side is true? That he longs to be present with you. That there's almost, this may be too strong of a word, but there's almost like a homesickness that we have and that he has to be together. And then why? He goes on to say, so that we might see his glory. That's a pretty bold prayer. Father, I want them to be with me so that they see how great I am. Jesus praying. But that's what the church is all about, isn't it? To see and to show how great Jesus is. And that as we gather together to worship, that's part of what we're doing. Divisions or or, or disagreements, we would say, tend to break down in the face of glory of something great. I remember I had a middle school teacher uh, who talked about the experience of being at a Philadelphia 76ers game seven in the playoffs. Uh, Not recently, this was in 2000, 2001, when the Philadelphia 76ers made the NBA finals that year. And he talked about being at game seven versus the Toronto Raptors. Uh, And maybe you even can recall watching that game because it had a a pretty interesting outcome. Uh, The 76ers won and moved on because Vince Carter of the Toronto Raptors missed a game-winning three-point that would have sent the Philadelphia 76ers home. And my teacher, my middle school teacher, described the atmosphere in that moment. He said it's the loudest he's ever experienced it in the Wells Fargo Center. But not only was it loud and people were going crazy, he said one of the things that happened is just random people started turning towards each other and hugging each other. It's like, I turned to some woman I've never met or talked to before, and I gave her the biggest hug. It's like, no one normally goes around hugging strangers. But in the face of something great, social boundaries started to break down in some ways. In the face of greatness, disagreements or divisions maybe take a back seat. Part of why we gather together every Sunday, worship together, is to shine a light on how great Jesus is, knowing that that's the thing that unifies us together. And as we sing and we pray and we praise him and we take communion this morning, we remember this is what unites us, our Savior. And one day we're going to be fully united as we see his glory perfectly. The the article that I quoted from the army chaplain in the beginning, he concludes with what I think is such a beautiful line. He says, amidst the seething cultural turmoil, I know of only one traitor, me. And Jesus died for this guy. The least I can do is reinforce this narrative. May God give us each grace to do so. The the church is crazy when you stop to think about it, of us being together, gathering together, uniting together. Almost as crazy as a guy going to live with grizzly bears, knowing that they might kill him. You might say, what's even crazier than that? 
a God who goes to live with his people knowing that they would kill him. All for the sake that he would draw them back to himself, unite him to himself, unite them to one another, and one day bring them home with him. That's the gospel we proclaim, and it's the gospel that unites us across our other divisions. Let's pray. Father, we worship you and praise you because you've made us one with Jesus. I, I confess, I, I don't grasp the full reality of what that means even now. To be one with him, even though I, I don't see him right now, it, it's, a, it's an incredible truth, a truth that we grow in and a truth that we'll fully realize the magnitude of it when we stand before him in the future. And God, in uniting us to Christ, you also unite us to one another. And we're part of the same family right now. And I pray for myself and I pray for all of us that we would strive, strive to be a family, strive to bridge the gap between what might threaten to separate us and be united around Jesus' love and sacrifice for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.